I am no gardener from glory. So he came to give me a lecture. I, I mean, he came to give me a lesson in horticulture. <laughs> that day, my neighbour told me that a rose needs to grow in the right direction and to the right ends. So you have to prune it. You prune it to stop it wasting its energy and becoming unproductive. You have to cut out the bits of the plant that are growing inwards and getting all tangled up whilst encouraging the shoots that are growing outwards towards the light. Pruning helps the rose to become its true self, to reach its full potential. Pruning enables beautiful flowers to grow. In the passage we just read from John 15, Jesus describes caring for a vine in much the same way. Vines, like roses, if left to themselves, produce a lot of superfluous... If you look at the garden out the back there, you will see that. I apologise. Within a few months of arriving at my first church in Leicestershire, I had a visit from a distressed neighbour. He loved roses. And he could see that the one trailing over the man's doorway was already fading growth. They waste their energy and they block out their own light. The excess growth must be pruned away if vines are to achieve the very best grapes that they are capable of. But there is a special reason why Jesus chose vines instead of roses for this illustration of mission and discipleship. In the Old Testament, Israel was often pictured as a vine. Indeed, this metaphor comes eight times in the Hebrew Bible from the pen of five different writers. It was one of the oldest and most sacred images in Judaism. In the analogy, the vine represented the covenantal people of God, those who'd been chosen by God and united in his love and promises to them. The grapes were the fruit of blessing that God wanted his people to bring into the world around them. After all, who doesn't love a sweet, juicy grape? Remember, God had said to Abraham that he was going to make his family into a great nation who would be a blessing. Indeed, all the nations on earth would be blessed through them. These acts of blessing are the grapes that the vine of Israel was to produce. If you read Psalm 80, you get the story of how God brought this vine up out of Egypt and planted it in the promised land. For years it had been ravaged by wild animals and it needed protecting and establishing and that is what God did through the Exodus. But sadly, as time passed, the Old Testament says that the vine got out of control. Israel didn't produce good fruit to bless the people around them with. Instead, they produced wild grapes. In chapter 5 of Isaiah, the prophet announces that these poor quality grapes are because of Israel's injustice and bloodshed and sin. And in the end, things got so bad that in the Old Testament, God, the gardener, promises to do something new. And here in John 15, we see the plan coming to fruition. 
Listen again to how Jesus begins. He says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. Now, having very briefly surveyed what's in the Old Testament, we can see what a huge claim Jesus is making. Jesus is the fulfillment of Israel, the overcomer of their failure. Jesus is the one on whom God's purposes and promises rest. Jesus is the one through whom the fruit of God's blessing will now come into the world. This is revolutionary stuff. But just notice what Jesus says this means for us, his followers. In verse 5 he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Or we are the branches. All those who follow Jesus have God's dynamic life living inside of them. We are the branches that that life passes through to produce fruit for God's kingdom. Fruit born in our actions and our words. All of us here tonight at one stage were individuals. But now we have been grafted into one stock. United in one vine through faith. And it's for this one purpose. God wants us to produce fruit. Fruit that brings blessing to the world and glory to God. Now, in order for us to get our heads around this breathtaking calling, we need to remember again the context of when Jesus said these words. For four weeks now, we've been reading Jesus' great farewell. This is the final night before the cross and Jesus is saying goodbye to his friends. He's passing on words of love and affection. He's giving them instruction and advice. At the end of the last chapter, he and his disciples left the room where they'd eaten the bread and drunk the wine of the Lord's Supper. And they're now on foot, walking their way to Gethsemane. Time is short. The soldiers are coming. These are some of Jesus' last thoughts. And foremost among them is that we, his people, will go out to serve others. That we will go out and produce fruit for him in his absence. Verse 8 says, This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. In other words, Jesus is saying, look, when I'm gone, you can't just mope around. When you begin to understand what my death means, that you are forgiven, that a new world is coming, you cannot remain apathetic. You must go out and produce fruit. Indeed, my Father in heaven is keen to see fruit come from his vine. There's expectation. When the surrounding world see the fruit in your actions and the words, they too will turn to God and give him glory. And this message that Jesus gave to the disciples on the eve of his death is still true for us today. If we know Jesus and we know his love for us, if we know what the cross means and all that it's achieved, we're to say thank you and we're to go out and serve him 
We have fruit to cultivate, people to bless, glory to bring to God. This is our purpose. This is our mission right now. So this then raises a question for us, doesn't it? Well, what does this involve? How do we live as Jesus' followers? Well, using this imagery of tending to a vine, Jesus now goes on to explain how the best fruit is grown. If we listen to and obey what comes next, we will start to bring blessing to our neighbours and pleasure to God. And Jesus seems to give three lessons. Lesson number one is this. Submit to the pruner's knife. This is verses 1 to 3. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Now, unfortunately, the English language does not help us very much with this verse. Because the word for prune in verse 2 is almost identical to the word clean in verse 3. The words are kathiro and kathiros. Basically, Jesus is making a clever wordplay here. Now, why is this wordplay important? (coughs) Well, because when Jesus talks about pruning the vine, what he wants us to think about is cleanliness. When Jesus talks about pruning the branches... He's talking about cleaning up our lives, making us holy and righteous. In verse 3, Jesus states that this happens by him teaching us his word. But he's clear that there'll be more pruning to come. We have to go on submitting ourselves to the pruner's knife. It's a process that never ends. If we're really honest with ourselves, we know that as time goes by, we're liable to drift away from God. As time goes by, we get tangled up with all of our own ambitions and goals, so much so the light gets blocked out and eventually God doesn't get a look in. Sometimes God has to step into our lives and cut through those things that are distracting us and holding us back from living for him. As disciples, we may have already borne some fruit for God over the years. We may have seen him do great things in our lives, but we should expect further pruning still so that we go on to create bigger and better fruit in the future. Sometimes the pruning hurts when God points out to us things in our lives that shouldn't be there and asks us to deal with them. But painful as pruning can be, we should not fear it. If you think about it, pruning is a very intimate process. The gardener is never closer to the plant and never taking more thought over its health than when they have their knife in their hand. And so it too it is with God. He really acts out of love for us and knows what is best in the long run. 
So maybe all of us here this evening need to take the time to think and ask God, what might he want to prune out of our lives? What is distracting us from him? What is keeping us away from Sunday church or Bible study? What is making us so busy we don't have time to pray? What is stopping us from serving him on Isla? Some of these things will need to be cut out of our lives, pruned back so we can grow properly and produce fruit. And part of our responsibility as followers of Jesus is not to fight the knife, but allow God to use it. The second lesson that Jesus gives is that we are to remain in the vine. In verse 4, Jesus says, Remain in me, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Now, this is basic biology. We all know that a branch cannot be cut off from the vine and still produce fruit. It doesn't work. Apart from the vine, it can do nothing. Disciples, likewise, need to remain in relationship with Jesus. In verse 6, Jesus gives us a very serious warning about this. He says, if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. It's a stern warning indeed. We may have once been attached to the vine, but if we drift away from God, our lives cease to produce any fruit at all. God, the divine gardener, doesn't want dead, lifeless branches littering the place. He burns them in the fire. But this teaching is so important, Jesus doesn't just give a warning. He also makes an extraordinary promise. In verse 7 he says, If you do remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. In other words, if we remain in Jesus, if we're keen to be reading his word and spending time in his presence, then the petitions in our prayers will be heard and answered. By way of this warning, and this truly great promise, Jesus is making it really clear. If disciples want to live for God, if they want to produce fruit in their lives, they have to remain in relationship with Jesus. For us today, that means remaining within the community that knows and loves him, staying in the church. There's no such thing as a solitary Christian. We cannot go it alone. We shouldn't even try. We are to remain people of prayer and Bible study at church and at home. We're to make sure that we're in touch and in tune with Jesus, trying to get to know him more all the time. Let's try from this day forward to give more of our time to fellowship with one another, to reading the Bible and seek in God in prayer. This is how we remain in Jesus 
And it's through Jesus and only through Jesus that we shall produce good fruit. So we submit to the knife and we remain in the vine. The third lesson Jesus gives is all about love. Love is the life force of God's garden. Love is the sap that runs through all the branches of the vine to produce fruit. And this should be no surprise to us at all. Because already in these chapters, as Jesus is saying goodbye, he has stressed the importance of love. This is how he wants his followers to live once he has left them. Do you remember chapter 13? A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. In these verses, Jesus takes the command further. Quite simply, if we want to be disciples who produce fruit, we must practice loving each other day by day. In verse 9, Jesus, still on this theme of remaining, says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. And then he makes it clear what it is to remain in his love. We're to follow his commands. If you can meet my commands, you'll remain in my love, just as I kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I told you this, so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. None of us like following commands, do we? We don't like having to obey things. But God knows what is best for our lives. He loves us and he wants to see us flourish. And he wants to see all the people around us flourish as well. And he knows the way to do this is through love. Loving God, loving others. And so in quick succession, Jesus states the command again in verse 12. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Again, let us remember, Jesus is less than 24 hours from the cross. 24 hours from laying down his life and demonstrating the greatest love of all. We all remember verse 13, don't we? Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. In a few hours, the disciples will have witnessed the cross. And having seen that, they will know in no uncertain terms the definition of sacrificial love. Alongside those disciples, we are now to show the same sacrificial love to those around us in our words and our actions. The loving of others is God's will for our lives. I like the final verses. Jesus says we're no longer servants who just have to jump to action whenever called upon. Servants who don't know the reason for what they're being asked to do. We're friends of God. We've been let in on the great plan. And the great plan is this. God loved the world so much he gave his son to die and rescue it. And he wants all the world to know that love for themselves. And they discover it through us loving them. 
This is what every single one of us is called to do. To live lives that bear fruit. And those fruit come through acts of loving kindness to those around us. This is Jesus' command. This is what he wants us to do in his absence. This is what he wants us to keep doing until the day he returns. We are to love each other. So more people know his love and we're transformed to be more like his love in the world. To sum up then, Jesus is about to leave and he gives his followers some final instructions. He tells them exactly what he wants them to do once he is gone. He prepares them for their mission. Their mission is to love. Still today, Jesus wants us to produce fruit for him. Fruit that bring God glory and bless the world around us. It may mean that we have to prune back some stuff in our life that is unhelpful, bad attitudes or negativity, all those things that distract us from God. It will require us remaining in Jesus, devoting ourselves to him. And it will definitely require us to love others, even those that are difficult. So let's get started by asking God's help in prayer. Let us pray.